Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing with IBPA. I'm your host, Christopher Locke. I'm also the IBPA Director of Membership and Member Services. Okay, so artificial intelligence has created many helpful improvements to book publishing, such as improving discoverability of books and finding copy or editing errors in manuscripts. And there are many more to come as technology advances. But is there a downside to some of these advancements? For example, will advancements cost people jobs? So joining us on the podcast today to discuss these issues is Authors AI and Binge Books co-founder and CEO, Alessandra Torre. Hello, welcome. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. This is my favorite topic. I'm, I am very excited for this conversation. So thank you for having me. Of course, yeah, and uh, you know what sparked this episode is so y- you uh, you all have a member benefit with IBPA members uh, with your program Marlo Pro. It's an awesome member benefit, and we did a webinar, and I was really interested. So people were really excited about uh, what it offers, uh, but then there was also all this discussion about like people's concerns about just AI and technology with publishing, and I was like. Oh, I had no idea that like they were acting like Skynet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay. So I was like, this is really interesting. I want to talk to you. Um, and uh, okay. So first, can you tell us about Marlowe Pro and then how like it benefits indie publishers? Sure. So Marlowe is a, uh, is our artificial intelligence at Authors AI. We call her Marlowe. And um, if I refer to her, it will be as referring to her as if she is a person because she feels like that to us. But um but Marlo, um, her her bread and butter, you know, her whole life basically has been about um, reading fiction and analyzing bestsellers. So that was how she got her start. She was her technology was originally born way back with a book, The Bestseller Code, which is a fascinating read if you're at all interested in analytics and and fiction. But um, but basically, she was trained on and learned everything there was to know about what makes a bestselling novel, what makes and what we call the best-selling novel was a book that had been on the New York Times list for 10 weeks or longer, right? So not just kind of a quick bestseller, but what kind of stuck around as a bestseller. So that was what she knew everything about and she understands is the difference between a great book and a good book and a good book and a bad book. And um, and so we were originally using her technology, and we are still now, to um, an author can submit their manuscript. She will read it and she will provide 32 pages of feedback that um, analyzes everything from the plot to the characters, to your pacing, um, to best-selling books that are comparable, that sort of thing. So that that is how her technology initially was focused. And then as we began to get deeper and deeper into the different things that she could do, we realized kind of the, um, the future possibilities when it came to more detailed book comparisons, because that was where authors really seem to gravitate was the books that were similar to theirs. And right now, her comparisons are just from a very small corpus of bestsellers, a couple hundred bestsellers. But it, um, but that is where our data scientists have really been focused in the last few years is going deeper into book recommendations for readers, as well as giving that information to authors. So because where I see a giant hole in the market right now is readers read a book, they love it, and they want something similar. And them trying to find a book that is similar is like, you know, a treasure hunt. I mean, they're going to ask some people, they're going to get a variety of different opinions, and they're getting opinions from people who might have read, you know, 20, 30 books that year, if they're lucky, you know, and all, and we all have different biases, right? We all have different things that we prefer in books that we read. So I love the idea of 
an AI coming in that is completely non-biased that can read a manuscript and recommend and look at, you know, she's like a super librarian, look in her database of hundreds of thousands of books and find the exact similar, you know, twin to that book in terms of story or style or pacing or subject matter. So that that's kind of where her technology now is focused on that and helping publishers and distributors kind of mine and understand their backlist more. Yeah. And uh, for discoverability too, like if you, let's say people like something as specific as like a mystery set in Virginia with like a clown protagonist. Yeah. And like, it's like, that is very specific, but That's maybe, yeah. yeah, right. But like, like you were saying, if they go into a bookstore, um, you know, then a person might not, you know, be able to recommend that, but like a computer will be able to go, there's 30, there's 20,000 books like that. And then, you know, obviously the drawback is you have to then figure out, okay, are all of those good, quote unquote, right? right. So then yeah. the technology has to be designed so that it's like whatever is the top rated will be the first recommended, that kind of stuff. Um, 100%. Or, and it's one of those things, that unfortunately, right now, booksellers and publishers are going, and readers are going off of metadata, metadata and packaging. Mm -hmm. And so whoever is winning that game, mm -hmm. right, those are the books that are being shown. And those are the books that are being purchased. And then those are the books that are showing up in also bots. But if you've got, I mean, after Fifty Shades of Grey, we had tens of thousands of books saying the next Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, they were all amazing. Actually, right. All right. <laughs> what, what actually is the closest book? Because it wasn't just the sex that people liked in that book. There were also, you know, it was also different things. So what really is like the closest twin? And we've, and we've talked to distributors about this too, because it's like, or booksellers, we've talked to about it, because if they have 50 books about, um, I don't know, how to score the perfect job, they they have no idea which one to put on the shelf, right? Like they, they're playing a guessing game. Um, and so if an AI could say, oh, I'm going to rank these books in terms of best to worst. And granted, that's a bad example, because we're really focused on fiction, but there's another AI, I'm sure that could do this. Um, you know, there isn't, but there could be. Um, could rank it from best to worst, that would really help them make those decisions about what to provide to readers. Yeah. So I wanted to get into like when we were doing the webinar, um, one of the things that publishers and the attendees, they thought, okay, there's obviously amazing applications for something like this. Um, but then they were concerned. They're like, okay, what if publishers start getting manuscripts? They run it through these AI programs and they're like, well, this is not going to be a bestseller because it doesn't fit this particular formula. And before even reading something, they just are tr trashing these books. And they were like, well, there are a lot of books that are amazing that don't fit a formula. Um, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, it's a, that's a really great question. So um, I think, especially right now, like we personally don't, Authors AI doesn't have a bestseller score, right? And that's something that publishers have asked for repeatedly. And it's something that we could do. We could we could put a bestseller score on there. Um, and I think it's more the where publishers focus has been or where our focus has been is more on if a publisher says, you know, um, where the crawdad sings, we want a book like where the crawdad sings. Um, Marlowe can say which books in their acquisition pile are closest to that. Um, and then if they want, she can also give, you know, their, their, their bestseller probability, or they, or she could sort 
the, but it's more about just taking that giant bucket of acquisitions. And instead of potentially some author's potential acquisition, acquisition being read by one editor who may or may not like that type of book, it's giving you a much greater probability that maybe it won't surface in that where the crawdad sings, but two years from now, when, you know, Twilight's the new hit or whatever, you know, maybe your book surface is close to that. But it also, the way Marla works and the way she was built is her feedback is all about helping that book improve. So publishers have been using that from an improvement standpoint. It might not be close to a bestseller now, but here are the ways that you could make it more likely. But are you going to fall into a path of where the formula might hurt you? Yes. Marlowe or any AI works on commonalities, right? Let's find commonalities and patterns um, amongst this. So you will have books that are outliers, right? That are just completely different than every book out there. And that book could get hurt by Marlowe because it isn't going to show up as similar to a bestseller or it might not show up as close to being a bestseller norm. But so there's a chance that that book's going to fall through the cracks. But there's also a chance that that book would have been read by an editor who goes, this is way out there. We don't have a shelf to put this on. And they pass on it anyways. Yeah, I, yeah I've definitely heard that, that um, when something feels like it's difficult to categorize that they're like, like this is great, but yeah, we don't know where <laughs> we to put love it. it. We don't know where to put it and how to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what I also got out of what you just said was that Twilight's coming back. So I am really excited about that. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, So something else that comes up a lot with things like artificial intelligence is the concept that these computer programs, they're going to take people's jobs. So they're going to, we won't need writers anymore. We won't need editors. Um, So that's something else I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Do you like how possible is that? Or is that something that people are just like, you know, worried? They're like, is that something people should be worried about? So I think it's, um, so first of all, I think there are certain jobs that should be worried. Um, And I'll go into those in just a minute. Um, But from me as an author, I got freaked out when I heard about GPT-3 and, you know, AI being able to create text, right? That that is a, that was a concern for me as an author, right? And if if this technology really evolves to a point, is it something that is going to be writing books and suddenly we have more competitors out there, right? So um, I think diving in deeper, I, I have to first say that there is a there will be a moment in time when a computer can write a book that is non-detectable as being written by a computer. There is that point in time. But there's a big difference between a computer being able to write a book that can be passed as written by a human and a book being good and and then a book being great, right? Like those are those are different levels of things. And um, Nick Thacker said um, this really well. Um, he said that human creativity is kind of like the ba- last basti- bastion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it bastion, that right. Yeah, uh-huh. Bastion of intelligence. And, um, and in order for an AI to have, to develop creativity, it would require like super intelligence, which is like, we're, we're just now coming into like general artificial intelligence, like super intelligence is so far out there. Like, is it something that we might have to encounter decades from now? Yes. But like we, in order for, it doesn't mean that there's not a time where it may, in the nearer future, where somebody might be able to give a book an outline. 
and and it creates you know and it writes to that outline but you know a book being an ai being able to come up with their own stories and then deliver on them in a satisfying way is is so far off all that being said there are jobs that will be affected in the near future there are jobs being affected right now by artificial intelligence and in the book world um audiobook narrators um Deep Zen is a company that is doing artificial AI narration that is pretty dang great. That being said, in a Deep Zen book cannot be sold on ACX. It cannot be sold on Findaway. Um, and it is not inexpensive. I mean, you'll, an author can still spend a thousand dollars, you know, on a Deep Zen produced book. Um, so there is, there will be some, some competition for narrators in the future. Um, audiobook proofing. Um, there's another company in that world. It's, um, uh, Positron is how I would pronounce it. Um, and it will pick up on mispronounced words, skipped words, changed words that, you know, the difference between your script and it's cheap. And I mean, that's fantastic. But how many audiobook proofers are out there that are going to lose? You know, I mean, it's not like a huge market. Editors. Uh, we have, in my opinion, um, the most advanced developmental edit type of AI, right? And it still is not going to replace a human editor. It is a fantastic solution for someone who cannot afford a real editor, a real editor, you know, a, a human editor. But it can tell you that your book is slow in the beginning, but it's not going to tell you story ideas that are scenes that you should move around. You know, I mean, it's going to identify the problems, but a, a human editor is the one who's really going to help you fix that. Grammarly has, I mean, their level of line edits has put, I'm sure a lot of, you know, they can, they can find typos, they can find that sort of thing. So has that affected some jobs in the, in the editing world? Absolutely. You know, um, but again, it's a difference of the uh, audience, the authors that are typically using those often couldn't afford to hire a human to do those jobs. Um, but those are the areas that I kind of see. The most. I don't think we as authors need to worry about losing our job anytime soon. Um, where I see more risk and right now immediately is in content spinning. And um, content spinning is when an AI goes in and replaces words and phrases with other words and phrases. Um, and so it could go through a manuscript and completely rewrite that manuscript using different words. And where that's really dangerous is any pirated book out there, right? We put into a program, it reads it through, and then you have a different book that is really, you know, the same book. Like that, that is what scares me the most today about AI is that. Um, and it's not plagiarized because the words are different, but it is a theft of intellectual property, but it's one that is very, very hard to prove. and Sometimes the courts have gone in favor of the authors and sometimes they haven't. Um, and it's a very expensive battle to go down. So that is where that right now today I see is the biggest problem. And is um, that something that like, let's say someone gave a manuscript to a publisher, uh, can they detect that? Or the whole point is that it's hidden so well that it's hard that's to the problem. A plagiarizer catcher won't catch it um, because there's no string of words that is the same, right? Um, that is the same enough to be caught. So, and we have had traditionally published books that another author has come up and said, this book is is too similar to mine. And they do page by page, side by side comparisons. And you can see these, 
you know, and um, so there have been traditionally published books that have gotten big advances that have sold and become bestsellers that have had these accusations. I'm not saying that they, you know, um, but they're, they're, they're a strong enough comparison that it makes you stop and really think about it. Um, And uh, so, and so that's an issue. And so we're building, we can see how close books are to each other, right? In the recommendations, like, oh, these books are most similar. And we can see, so there's a distance score between those books and all these different, like, 62 different categories of how it's comparing the books to each other. And we can see if it's abnormally similar. Um, and that is how, like, for example, um, authors have been outed, right? Like Robert Gilbrath was outed as J.K. Rowling, right? Because it was like, oh, the writing style is outside of the norm of, of similarity. Um, so that's one thing we're kind of looking at focusing. It's not a focus right now for us, but we should be able to identify that sort of thing. Um, would it, would it stand up in court? I don't know, but it could definitely alert a publisher that this is a problem. But most of these people, I think aren't going the traditional route. They're, they're content spinning the book. They're, they're, you know, putting a great looking cover and a nice blurb up and they're, and then they're selling it, you know? Right. Like self-publishing it. Self-publishing it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Um, well, and you mentioned about the editors uh, being replaced, that kind of thing. So a lot of these AI programs to me seem like they kind of like supplement, you know, yeah. like, uh, but they still have a human that then will then, you know, it's like kind of like a first step, you know, like something like Grammarly or whatever. Great it's like, self-edit edition. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but I, the audiobook thing is interesting that you mentioned because uh, I was talking with someone who produces audiobooks and they said that there's technology where they're trying to license the voice of, let's say, someone like James Earl Jones. And then you'll have this AI version of James Earl Jones's amazing voice reading your audiobook. And then people that are great audiobook, uh, you know, like narrators, they won't have a job or some of them will start losing jobs because someone's like, well, I could have someone who's unknown or I could have James Earl Jones. Um, and so, yeah, I, that is, that's, that is going to be a problem. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that um, the whole writing aspect, because to me, I'm also an author publisher and I, it, it's like, it comes from your heart, you know, like who you are as a human. So it does seem very difficult to have a computer create something that is uh as heartfelt because they it didn't live a life you know and so you you base it on things that happened to you and all these you know terrible and great things so anyway yeah i um, i mean have you read any of these ai generated novels have you yeah i've read and i mean i've i haven't read entire novels but i've read scenes that were written by ai and you know they're not bad like they definitely need a human <laughs> to go on top of them because you'll have something like really weird right like I don't know, like, you know, he pulled, like, we're in the middle of a business meeting and he pulls a sword from his sheath, you know, like, like, uh, like what? Um, So there's definitely like, it's not, it is far from perfect, but it is like, it is interesting. It's all, it's scary, but it's interesting because it's not terrible, you know? Um, And I do think that the AI can be intelligent enough to go, okay, We've had a period of slow pacing. Now we need to ramp up the pacing. Here are the ways I could ramp up pacing. I could put in an action scene, you know, and so suddenly that happened. And just before I forget, talking about licensing voices and things like that, um, the other potential upside is if you are a famous narrator, I, I mean, famous like 
I don't mean like James Earl Jones, but I mean like if you are a successful narrator, you can also um, license your voice to these programs. Um, so they could potentially earn revenue that way. But I definitely think there's more risk for them in in that whole area than there is. I don't mean by licensing, but th- if I was anyone that was going to be concerned, I would be a narrator. Um, yeah. Oh, well, watch out out there. Hey, we're just, yeah. hey, we're, we're the messenger. Don't kill the yeah, messenger. Yeah, we're the messenger. I love narrators. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I want to ask you about AI and marketing because mm-hmm. uh, there are, you know, so so what are some things in, in like book marketing that, uh, that AIs like help to really improve? Yeah, so um, the first is, is targeting. Like a lot of us are using AI and we don't know it. Um, so... Uh, well, I'll put it this way. A lot of AI is happening in the back end that we don't necessarily see. But where we as authors can use it in the marketing and where publishers and anyone else is mainly audience targeting, segmentation, keywords, that sort of thing. Um, so currently, um, I'm not really aware of any products that are doing it right now. But I know like we have a lot of things in development and I'm sure there are other things that are in development. And I've seen a lot of startup companies pop up that have been often disappear. But um, but if you can have a book, if you can have an AI go in and read your book and then provide a list of 100 keywords, you know, fantastic. If you can have an AI go in and read your book and then provide a list of 100 books and authors that are most similar to your book, there's, you know, that does a lot of our work with AMS ads right there. Um, book descriptions uh, are being written by AI using GPT. T3 now. Um, a lot of those programs are in beta. So they're not necessarily available right now, but they are going to be in the next six months to a year. It'll be in, and there already are some certain things like you can but you can use like article services, right? They they have this a lot for blog posts, right? Or so you could have you could use a program that typically rewrites blog posts or something like that and put in your existing book description and it can rewrite it for you um or put in an outline or 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 they'll they will be an ai that can outline your book for you again that's on the craft side but in terms of marketing it's really just targeting um comps and figuring out where you should properly be positioned in the market that's where i see um where i see the most future in the in the near future the most so then, possibilities in the near future. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So then, and also, I read like a, like a book title, even like something like yeah. it'll generate it's based on what's in that genre, what's selling well, and what you know might like uh, get people's eye. It'll create a, a book title that you know is something that it's like it's going to sell even better, which is really interesting. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm very confident that re retailers turn publishers like Amazon, you know, um, they know what the most searched, most searched phrases are the most searched and it and there's no way that they're not using if they're not using it, they're, there's no way they're not using that information to help them guide their, um, their title choices. Yeah. And then also in terms of the, uh, like, where when you're marketing, like, I guess it, it will create the copy itself, like that you'll then like it, like maybe a press release or something, right? Like it's just like it, it goes through your book and then also based on other books, it just creates this copy. And then I guess people will reread that and then they'll whatever, adjust it. But um, it, it gets the ball rolling it so that- give you 
the dough that you can then make something with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, so you mentioned about like, um, you know, technology, like, is there something that you that's on the horizon that you're like, uh, I'm really excited about this, like that is that we should be looking out for that'll be great for publishers? Um, I mean, I'm biased because so uh, where my attention is 24 seven is book recommendations. So I'm personally really excited uh, in that area because I see massive potential for discoverability. I think um, publishers backlist is something that they are very clueless on. And it's just the way the business is, right? You know what your front list is, you know what you're publishing then, but then people move, people change companies and the backlist often gets forgotten. Um, and it's hard to know. So when you have a hit like Lacerque or something like that, and it's um, and and you have no idea what you have back there that might fit it perfectly. I had a traditionally published book, The Girl in Sixty. It was about a recluse shut in. It would have been great to market during COVID and all that. I mean, I don't think my publisher has any clue it even exists. Right? Like it's mm-hmm. not like there's just not. So I think I think there's a lot of possibilities for that. I also think. The way that readers are buying books today is archaic. I mean, it's just they're visiting retailer sites or they're going into a bookstore and they're just wandering around the site trying to find their book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the the best thing they can go off of is customers who bought this also bought. Um, and those books are really just books that were selected by marketing departments that are the newest books, you know, that are similar in their mind, similar to it. So if you could have an AI that and someone says, I want the Da Vinci code, but I want it um, on a pirate ship, you know, and that AI could look through a million books and say, here you go. Or if they say that I want, you know, the client by John Grisham, but with heavy sex, you know, or they want, I, I want Fifty Shades Grey, but no sex, right? Like if <laughs> if you could, could deliver like your ideal perfect, book or an AI could look at your top 50 books and find the commonalities between them and then create a list of your ideal books. I mean, first of all, we lose readers all the time. I mean, our younger generations will be read the read books that are assigned to them in school, and then they might pick up one or two books. But how many readers are born because they read that one book? And, and oftentimes it's been like Harry Potter or Twilight or something like that that goes, oh my God, like, this is why people love reading. Like, you know, it's like, it's like a new world to them. And then they dive in. But then every time they read a book that just doesn't do it for them, it's, it's one more kind of strike against us. And it's mm. one more time that like, oh, there's this new show on Netflix, you know, or no, and, 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 and we lose them. A lot of times we lose them. So if, if we could have a higher percentage of readers who read a book and love it, then that would be that great for all of us. I mean, it would be great for everything in our in our industry. And it shouldn't matter if that book is 10 years old, or if it's brand new, or if it has never been discovered by readers, you know, I mean, I think there's a great opportunity for undiscovered books to surface, if we're really using the stories to pick and display those books versus, um, versus metadata and sales data. Yeah. So, and what is this on a, like a retail site or where does this exist? Like does some, is it a website that people go to and they type in, I like blank and then it comes up with the, 
the books. Yeah, well, it doesn't exist right now. Um, so we have the tech. That's what we've built. That's our AI um, technology. But um, so right now we're just adding books to the library. And then um, the plan is to put it on bingebooks.com. But it would be a fantastic acquisition for any retailer. Um, any retailer who's really interested in not selling ad placement, right? Um, but a lot of retailers are. I mean, there are a lot of retailers. And I think it would be great for in-bookstore technology, you know, so when someone goes up to the desk or they can go to a kiosk, you know, and they can build their perfect book or they can look at close book recommendations. The tech, we already have the technology. It's really just how is it going to be presented and how is it going to be used? Um, so it's not, it's not far off. I mean, it's, it's already here. It's just um, finding the right vehicle. Yeah. And I 100% agree that there's too much focus on the new, like what all the new books, you know, and um, there are literally millions and millions of books out there that Amazing since, books. Yeah, yeah. And, and people just, you know, because what's on the shelves, if they go to like a bookstore, it's literally just what's physically there. And if mm -hmm. even if you go online, like you were saying, because of all these algorithms, they're throwing at you whatever the newest things are. But yeah, and, and it's, um, you know, all these um, people that have, you know, I don't know, like 30 years ago, um, I mean, things like TikTok, BookTok are yeah. helping to bring Racer. back older, right, yeah, so that that's uh, promising, um, but I do agree that'd be awesome if there was a technology that you go to a bookstore and then they just go boop, 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 yeah, and they type in whatever you say and then it comes up with the great books in that area that are 30 years old, you know, two days old, whatever, yeah. And if you want, then you could filter it, right? You could filter it by books that are in KU, or you could filter it by books that are within five years old, or you could filter it by books that are in a certain genre, or, you know, um, or that did have a certain level of sales success or review rating or whatever, but you don't have to. And that was some of the most fun conversations we have, like on the data scientist team is what makes a reader love a book? And it's, a, it is not an easy question because, um, why do it, I mean, when you ask a reader and we've, we've done reader surveys, but to be honest, we don't really know why we love a book. And that's why it's easier like for our, our AI to look at if, if we know you love these 50 books or these 100 books. Okay, we, we I say we, she can figure out what it is, what is the common factors in these books um, that make you love them. But because that's the question, let's say I love John Grisham, right? Like I love John Grisham's books. I'll read every one of them. Okay, if Marlo identifies that there's this other author who writes 98% similarly to John Grisham, but writes um, historical fiction, mm -hmm. not legal thrillers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or historical thrillers. Is that something that that reader is interested in? Is that reader interested in seeing those titles? Or do they only want to stay in that genre? And I think the answer that we finally came to is we just have to let the readers pick. Like we mm -hmm. have to give them the closest matches. And then if they want to filter down, you know, or if they want to do certain check boxes, then they can make that decision. Yeah. And I do also agree. Yeah. That um, we focus so much on genre and things like that, that are easy to identify versus like you were saying, like writing style, things like that, that your mm -hmm. average a uh, reader or bookseller, someone or, or librarian or somebody who's normally recommending books might not know as well that, you know, like, uh, like whatever flowery language versus like really simple or whatever, like they might not be thinking about that. Um, like, like you were saying, AI technology is built to then look at that. Um, I mean, 
I agree that like in terms of publishers, like it really could be very helpful um, because like you were saying, it's they sometimes they've I mean, some of these publishers like have published like hundreds of books or something and yeah. like they can't even keep track of all the, the books. And so it'll help them, you know, go through and um, like you were saying, maybe market during a particular time when um, there's something happening in the news that's like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, this has become a huge thing. We had a book written in 1947 that was about this or something. So one of the areas, though, that I'm super excited about is when you talk about heat levels and sexuality um, rating, really, because with movies, you have G, PG, PG, 13 and R. But with books, readers are really going in blind. Right. So and this is a problem like with violence and language, but where it really becomes a problem is sexuality, especially um, with younger readers, but also with fully adult women or men who don't want to read certain things. Um, and so with romance, you have everything from super chaste, Amish romance, they don't touch each other, you know, um, to raunchy, you know, full-fledged books that have every other, you know, page is a scene. And there's, it's become very hard for readers to understand what they're looking at when they're looking at a book, whether it's on the bookshelf or whether it's on a, on a website. And that is in part due to the retailers. Um, retailers have cracked down so much on what can be put on a cover and what can be put in a book description. And uh, I was talking to Amazon last week and I asked about um, male nipple. Okay. So male, you used to see Fabio on the cover. Now, uh, male, if a male nipple is on a cover, it will start to be hidden from results, right? It will be diminished. It, it will be um, hidden in some ways. Uh, same thing, any flag words. So it used to be you'd see couples embracing on the cover. Not anymore. Um, you can do it. You might get banned. You won't be able to run ads on your book. So what you're seeing, that's why illustrated covers are all the rage right now. Um, and book descriptions are super, super tame because you just can't. You can't use certain language that you used to use to communicate that a book was more spicy. Um, so you have readers that are just going in blind and they really don't know. So they have to depend on the author name and that hurts newer authors. Um, so if you could look at a book and see a clear AI created, you know, sexuality score that is in that book, and it would be great to see the same for language or for violence levels also for middle grades and young adult books, um, I think that will be very powerful. It will help retailers. It'll help um, it'll help readers, and I think it will help those authors because the the super clean audience wants the super clean books, and the you know dirtier audience wants the dirtier books. So um, well, we need to help. I readers. I only want perfectly clean. So okay. this is for I me. will write you down for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Are you okay with male nipple on the cover? Um, I, I'm blushing. So for people <laughs> listening, they don't know that. But, you know, that's fine. I, this, this podcast just became rated R. So, um, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's really interesting. And um, it's uh, that these they're cracking down on that. I don't it's like they think it's obscene or something. I mean, I, this has been around for a it's long time. It's about making everything okay for a general audience, right? Uh, yeah. um, they don't, I think also they don't like scrolling through like the top bestseller list and seeing a bunch of what seems like sexual content. Um, so that's, uh, and the same, I think with retailer shelves, but you can't do advertising. I write 
majority of my backlist is romance. Um, and advertising is really hard. It's hard on Facebook. It's hard on, it's just our, it's funny because it used to be on Facebook. You could do anything right. Uh-huh. Almost. I mean, with a reason. Um, and now, and that really came down in the last four or five years and, uh, and the retailers go in the same path. Like just the, it, the safer path is the cleaner content. That's interesting. Um, be yeah. displayed as cleaner content. Oh, I mean, but it's romance is still one of the top selling like genres like ever. So somehow it's still doing well, but it's still happening it, underground. Yeah, it's yeah. just not marketed in that that manner as much. Huh. Uh, well, uh, we're kind of coming close. I mean, so uh, I I want to make sure that uh, is there any other thing that you wanted to mention about AI? Um, you know, beforehand, because uh, again, I, I was like, when you did the webinar, I was like, this is really cool, interesting. And I just didn't know that there was controversy about it. So I appreciate you for, you know, talking about both sides of it. Because um, obviously, you know, you have a vested interest in, you know, <laughs> the, the people being excited about it. Um, so but yeah, there there's obviously um, things that and it comes down to the people using the technology um, for the, the right purposes. And we all know humans are perfect and would never do anything uh, unseemly. So I guess we'll be fine. Um, yeah, I would just say like my parting thought is the there's always positive and negatives, right? And as soon as you have a new technology or a new path or a new area where there are possibilities, there are going to be people that use it in a negative way. Um, that's unfortunately the way it is. Um, there are a lot of possibilities through AI that can help curb that, right? That can catch plagiarism or that can catch future, you know, content spending. Um, but uh, are there negatives? 100%. Like, am I concerned as an author creatively right now? I mean, I think it's the same type of concern that um, graphics designers or li- artists like, you know, paint painters and things like that. They're also now competing with AI art in that space. So, and it's coming into songs, coming into music, it's coming in a lot of different ways. So I think we should be aware of it and informed. Um, but I, in terms of creativity, uh, artificial intelligence is a long way from that. Um, so we are at least for the next, you know, 10 years, I would say protected against that. And we may come to the point again, where an AI can write a book that passes off as being written by a human, but I do not believe we have to worry about them writing a great book um, or one um, that, that readers will really fall in love with. I'm trying to work on the third book in my trilogy. And if I could just give it to an AI to write it, that'd be great. Think just it's garbage. Take- like just give you some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, some sand yeah. in your sandbox. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so you had a book come out on September 27th, uh, familiar stranger. So congrats. Um, it's awesome that you're, you know, you, you, you have a lot of, uh, you know, hands in different places of the business. Hands in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So congrats. Um, and I'm sure you ran that through Marlo pro. So I'm sure I did. Yep. Every draft I run every draft through Marlo, um, to help make sure. Yeah. I also like to see the changes from one draft to another. Uh, how my pacing changes. I do pretty drastic changes. Um, but the other, she points out some cool things. Like she has a cliche finder and she points out my um, frequently used phrases. Um, so I've been able to clean up. I've seen an improvement the last few years. Um, now, the more I know about my writing, the the more I can see my my issues. Well, something tells me that the word male nipple comes up 
in your books and you it's like okay can you just cut on that yeah <laughs> i have removed um, all mentions of any okay good of any male nipple um yeah. uh, everyone should make sure to check out the marlo pro ibp a member benefit um it's a 15 percent off an annual subscription which is 24 marlo pro reports and you get a free uh manuscript analysis through mother pro um, so it's, uh, you know, you have to become a member to get it. So just throwing it out there, maybe you should become a member. Um, and, uh, we hope that you'll keep listening to this podcast. It, uh, drops every, uh, last Thursday of every month and also make sure to go to the IBPA website, ibpa-online.org. Uh, Alessandra, this has been really interesting. Um, I, I, I actually, like I told you, I had a bunch of questions. I had more, but I think we hit on all the good the good stuff, the good content. So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for coming on and talking about this. I had a fantastic time. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I really love being here. All right, everyone. Thank you so much and have a good day.